there, and welcome to episode 5 of the Game Pit, Treasure Hunting. In this episode, we haul ourselves out of the pit and go looking for treasure. Now what that means is, Sean and I are going to talk about some of the upcoming releases this year, which we have looked into and that we're looking forward to. Some of these games are not out yet, some of them won't be out until the end of the year, some of them might not come out at all, and some of them might just be out, but we haven't had a chance to play them. We hope you enjoy listening to the Game Pit, and don't forget you can find us along with other gaming goodness on 2d6.org. I'd like to talk about two games now. that One's coming out and one will come out soon, and they have a common denominator. That common denominator is a Mr. Batman. But the first I'd like to talk about is Batman Gotham City Strategy Game. This is from WizKids Games and designed by Paolo Mori who has in the past uh, designed Vasco da Gama, UR, Pocket Battle Series, Libertalia, and Borneo. He also has another game coming out soon, but we'll talk about that later. Batman plays 2-4, to four, and has a playing time suggested of about 60 minutes. This game is billed as an area control, area influence campaign game, with battle cards and dice happening. In the game, you will play one of Batman's foes. Now, the foes on offer are Joker, Penguin, Two-Face, and Killer Croc. And you basically go around controlling their gang of henchmen. And in this game, Batman is your enemy. So you're gathering money, you're gathering information by taking over and controlling the blocks of Gotham City. And you're using that money to buy more henchmen and to level up. You take on... Obviously, your opponents who are playing the other villains, but also, as I said before, Batman's going to be wandering around this map, and when he enters your area, you've got to take Batman on himself. Obviously, each one of Batman's villains is going to have a unique ability for their gang, and that's roughly what's going to be happening. This game is already out. It's just been released here in the UK. Haven't had a chance to play it yet, but uh, Ronan, have you seen much of this game at all? I have a little surprise for you today, Sean. Oh, what is it, Randy? What is it? I played Batman Gotham City last night. You're just mean, and you never even said a word. Oh, (laughs) yeah, I managed to play it last night. Well, pray tell, pray tell. You know I'm excited about this one. I think that you are going to like it more than I did. Put it that way. First thing is, that 60 minutes playing time is a lie. (laughs) It's a blatant lie. We played quickly with four players last night took us around two hours and you'll find that there's reports on on bgg of people taking a lot longer than that with four players to play uh it's a basic area control what you're trying to do is you're trying to get to a level 10 with your villain and whoever hits level 10 first wins and you get to level 10 by controlling areas on the board at various times so for example to go from level one to two you have to control three areas on the board there's another one later on i think it's from level five to six you have to control five areas on the board it's an area majority thing or by being able to hand in money that you collect or a different resource in the game information. And you're going to get them by controlling areas or by hiring henchmen. So there's different things you do to go up for each of the ten different levels. And it, there's a lot of chaotic to and froing on the board. And Batman comes in as another element and he'll kick people out of areas. And he gets tougher and tougher as the game goes on. What it reminded me most of was uh, Discworld and Kmorpork. That was a release from Martin Wallace last year on the Discworld theme. It was really like that. That kind of chaotic cards come out. You can't really tell what they're going to do game where you're all to and fro and doing a gotcha on each other. Although there was less gotcha than I think in Discworld. There was less sort of, oh, look, he's doing that. I'll take this from him. It's not that interactive, but there's lots of things going on on the board. Sean? The board actually looks quite basic. When I first saw this game mooted on Board Game Geek and various other websites, and obviously on the WizKids website, it looked a bit bland, and the board looked quite basic. Um, let me just talk you through what you get in this. You get five pre-painted figures that come with the switch-click styles, so you can use them in the Hero Clicks games. You get some villain character sheets, um, your villain ability cards, you get some criminal plot cards, game tokens, you get some quite nice uh, villain screens, and back to the game board, which again, it, it is quite bland, and it just yeah, it didn't immediately grab me. Now, doing the research for this, I got quite excited about it, and I do like the Discworld game from Martin Wallace. 
Yeah, I mean, I liked this more than Discord. I wasn't the greatest fan of that game. I thought it was too chaotic. This, less chaotic. And I'll say that after one play, we were waiting to see how the game developed. It was hard to kind of tell what was coming up. Those criminal plot cards, they introduced randomness to it. And sometimes by playing one of them, you introduce Batman cards to the game, and that's going to do different things. And then everyone has these unique abilities for their villains. And as you level up, you get more and more unique abilities. So people deviate. You're all pretty much the same at the beginning. And then you deviate from that basic beginning. So, yeah, I think there's more to it than Discworld. I quite enjoyed the game. I'm reluctant to pass judgment on it because I feel like we were all, like I said, waiting for the game to develop. When I first saw it, I saw it at Essen last year. They had sort of a board on display and I really thought it was quite ugly. (laughs) Having played it, that board, I don't think it looks great and I'm not sure it's that functional either. Some of the areas are a bit too small for the amount of bits you're going to put in there, especially your your villain there. People know the hero click size base. And they pretty much fill some of the areas on the board, so not very functional, not very pretty either. The, the, the figures are quite nice. The player screens are massive. WizKids, though, I don't, I've just got an issue with WizKid components. Uh, the fleet captains, Star Trek fleet captains components, the ships that kept breaking all over the place, those cards aren't great. We spoke about the Quarriers dice before are not great. For me, it's got to the point where WizKids brings out a game. I'm not very confident in how good the bits are going to be. Fair enough. Um, I did have to send for a couple of replacements on Fleet Captains for my copy. But then their after sales is pretty good. I think they are always ready to help out where their components don't quite ma- match your expectations. Moving on, I think what we're going to do in this episode is, after the, we've discussed the game for a brief amount of time, is say whether we think this game is going to be a hit or a miss. Or, in our terms a treasure or a trap. Now, you've already played it. You kind of already know how you want to go with this now. It's not really looking into your crystal ball anymore, which is brilliant. I'm going to say that this is treasure for me. I will probably seek it out next time we're at London on board if it's going, or I might even end up buying it. What about yourself? I think you'll think it's a treasure. I'm happy to play it any time, but I don't feel the need to get it. So for me, it is a kind of a trap. I'll play it again. I don't hate it, but it's a trap. On to the second of our two Batman games we're talking about in this episode. Now, this one isn't out yet. It's called Batman Arkham City Escape. It's from Cryptozoic, and it's designed by Matt Hira. Now, Matt did... The DC deck building game, which we'll be discussing in a future episode, and that certainly stirred up some feelings in the game pit. Uh, he also did a, a lesser known game called Lock and Key, and he did. Oh no, it's quite well known. Was it? Around here. That's okay. awful. Carry on. <laughs> and the World of Warcraft miniatures game. This game is based directly from the Batman Arkham City, Batman Arkham Asylum computer games, Xbox, PS3, whatever. Um, It's a two-player game where one person takes on the role of Batman and the other player has to basically take on all the escapees from Arkham Asylum who are trying to get out into Arkham City and escape. They're trying to get out, and that's their main focus. Now, you've got a range of all the favourites, from Bane, Poison Ivy, the Joker. So that's what one player's doing, and obviously Batman is there trying to stop them. Now, how he does this, I believe he's going to have certain cards. He's got a utility belt where you lay cards that give him abilities. So Batman's going to be quite powerful, as he would need to be taking on 20 players, but obviously... There's the sheer weight of numbers coming from the other side. This game felt the other way for me. This game was all artwork. It looks beautiful, but... It's exact- Do you really think it looks beautiful? I think it looks exactly the same as the, um, the artwork design for the game, the, the computer game, which I thought was stunning. I but thought- I'm looking at the cards for this game, and it's just... It's like screenshots or individual figures taken out of the computer game and put on cards, and they just don't look right. I mean, these are figures that are designed to be animated... And for me, in that setting on a card, I don't think they look good. Oh, well, maybe that's somewhere where we have to differ. Um, I, I thought they just looked really striking, especially the box design, where it, again, is stolen straight from the computer game. But you've got that dark black and blue against the white background. I just thought it worked really well visually. I think the box looks good. It's, it's more the other artwork I can see is, is the cards. And uh, I'm not... I'm not digging those. Just before we talk about what we're thinking about this game, 
I just want to say that there's a lot of components in this. There's loads of cards. There's two game boards. There's a Batman character. There's dice going on. So you're getting a lot for your money. But I'm a little bit worried about this one, Rona. What do you think? It's one of these games. There's not a lot of information out about it, is there? It's based on a huge license. I think we're going to talk about another couple of games today based on computer game licenses. And you'd think, give us some information. You've already got a target audience looking around. Is there that much going on? No, there's not. I am, if it's just theme-wise, I'd be sold on it. You know I like Batman, I like the idea, I like two-player games, I like the direct conflict going on, but Cryptozoic don't make the deepest games in Mr. Hyra, he's one-on-one for me. DC Deck Builder, yeah, that's okay, I like that, let's play that. Lock and Key was awful. They need to put out like a lot of board game companies some more information for this game. Tell us what it's about. Give us some rules. Give us some gameplay. Give us a video of someone explaining some stuff. Help us. Help us to make the decision. I think we both came across the issue when we researched this episode. There is an absolute flood of games coming out. Now, I know everyone knows that. But if I just took the games I was interested in, there'd be two a week coming out for the rest of this year. And that's before the Essen games get announced. So another game where I'm a bit disappointed in how much information is available. I'm not that hot on it, I'd have to admit. Yeah, there's certainly not a lot available for this. But what I have seen has kind of flipped the two games that are coming out together. Now, you mentioned a while back that there was two Batman games coming out and... They look pretty cool. I was always, as I said before, I was quite worried about the Batman Gotham City strategy game. But this one always sort of had my attention because of the box design was out and it looked cool. But I think if it follows the computer game too diligently, I think it's going to come unstuck. And I think that computer game was fantastic for a reason. It was a computer game. It was designed to be a computer game. I'm not sure that's going to work for a board game. I could be wrong. I'm happy to be wrong. I will gladly buy this game if it turns out to be fantastic. I love Batman. I love Batman games. And we, we differ on the, the artwork. I think the artwork is quite striking on this, but I am worried about this one. So, Sean, treasure or trap? I'm going to say it's a trap for me at the moment. Yeah, Batman, Arkham Asylum Escape for me. Also, I'm a trap, I'm afraid. Okay, so the first game I want to talk about today is Firefly from Gale Force 9. This game is coming out with surely the coolest theme in the whole world that ever existed, ever. We've talked about Firefly already once on the podcast, and it's possible we might put in a Firefly rule in which it was talked about every episode until it's back on TV. The other reason I'm excited about it, as well as the theme, is the Spartacus design team. Now, if you listen to episode three when we discussed the vault, you'll know that I love the game Spartacus. It was a real sleeper hit for me. And this design team coming out of the Firefly game, that has got me very, very excited. Again, not a ton of information out. One thing I'll say, their Facebook page, they've got more than 5,000 likes. So that's more than 5,000 people that are bothered enough about this game in order to like it on Facebook. And almost no information. Come on, game companies. But what we do know is each player is going to be running a Firefly-class ship. And you're going to go in around the universe from Firefly. And you're going to be taking on jobs to do, doing different missions. And it seems to be all about uh, making money. That's the whole goal. Uh, it's a board down there, it's for four players, it's very card driven from the looks of things, you have your own map, you're running your own crew there, and there's also minis on the board which show where you're going to, you go to different systems, different planets to complete these missions and collect new ones. Sean, any thoughts on Firefly the board game? As you said, there's not a lot come out about this, but it's Firefly. It's Firefly. It's going to be of interest to a lot of us, including me. I know there's been a lot of people talking already, putting this game down, but I think let's give it a chance. I think if it's coming out from the team that makes Spartacus, then I think they've earned the right for us to wait for the game comes out properly, and then we'll judge it. It looks pretty. It looks strong in theme. And the way that you've described how it plays, it does marry in with the, with the Firefly universe. So, yeah, definitely let's give this one a chance. Let's wait for that more further information to come out and see... Where, where they're going to go with it. But it's, again, one of those games that hasn't got a lot out about it. And I really wish, like you do, that games companies would push more information out when they announce games. 
One last thing I want to say is I really hope they stick to this sort of grey moral area whereby you can skirt on the edge of the law. I'm pretty sure they will. Uh, moral upstanding is not high in the Spartacus list of things that's in there. So, Sean, for you, Firefly, the board game, treasure or trap? It's a tough one, but I'm going to say treasure because I'm a big Firefly fan. For me, I have faith in this design team after their Spartacus design. Treasure all the way. Let's go to Belgium, to Bruges in fact, where Stefan Feld has designed yet another game, and this time it's and this time through Hans Imbruck. For those of you living on a moon of Saturn, Stefan Feld is one of the biggest names in gaming. Stefan has designed games like Trajan, Strasbourg, uh, Notre Dame, Macau, Luna, In the Year of the Dragon, Castles of Burgundy, Bora Bora. Obviously, he's a huge, huge deal. Bruges plays two to four, with a playing time suggested of about 60 minutes. It's very much billed as a city-building game in the Renaissance period, and you're using hand management. You're playing a merchant competing for influence, power, and status. Basically, what's going to happen is there's going to be environment cards played on you. Our players will get a chance to prepare for these environment cards or just build themselves up so that they're not knocked too badly from them and essentially just adjust to the way the game's going to hit them. Players are going to use cards to play their actions and the area strength of the action depends on the colour of the card. The cards come in five colours. For example, the blue cards provide additional workers. The aim is to gather prestige, and that's how you win. And my first impressions of this game was it looks beautiful. Ronan? Yeah, the game does look nice. Hands in look make nice games. It's like a Euro. There's a picture of a city. Lovely wooden bits. Cars look okay. It looks like a standard Euro. It's got the VP thing around the edge. It's Stefan Feld again. It's with a fairly basic Euro theme with some different mechanics thrown in. I was a huge fan of Stefan Feld. I like a lot of his games. Uh, having played Bora Bora recently and been badly let down, it's put a bit of a break on it. We're going to be talking about Stefan Feld more. I do think it looks nice. I think it looks pretty standard for a Feld game, which is different to pretty much everyone else's. I do think it looks very similar to Rialto, which is coming out, which we're going to talk about probably a little bit later, in that you're trying to develop a city, you're playing cards, which lets you do different actions. So between the two, I think I'm going to have to make a decision which one I'm going to go for most. There seems to be a lot going on in this game with, there's dice in it, I'm not sure where the dice come in, but I'm sure knowing Stefan Feld, it's some well thought out process and quite innovative. But yeah, I think from what I can see of this game, it looks like a classic, classic Euro worker placement. Use your card hand management and just react to whatever's going around you. Um, typical Stefan Feld game, really. I think this is going to be a treasure for me. I really like the look of this. Right? For me, it's halfway between, I think. Feld, good games. This one, maybe a bit too generic. I'm going to go trap, but I wouldn't be swayed. The next game I want to talk about is also based in a city, but this one is the City of Remnants. It's designed by Colby Dow, who is man behind Plaid Hat Games, and he's a guiding hand behind the Summoner Wars system. And Isaac Vega, who's the designer of the upcoming Bioshock Infinite game. It's for two to four players, and it's supposed to take around 90 minutes to play. And in this game, you're in a city, which is on a planet which has been taken over by hostile aliens. And you're a gang leader. And you're trying to control your gang in order to influence different areas of the city and score the most points. The game is set on a board which represents the city. A board which is quite ugly in my opinion. It's laid out on a grid system with different coloured borders around different areas. And also your gang members are minis which I'm afraid I think also look a bit ugly. So it's not the best looking game. But there are some good positives to this game, which I can see. Uh, each faction, each gang is going to play differently. They're going to have different powers and have different sort of sways in which way you might want to play with them. It's all about area control and building up an economy from that area control. And there's lots of player uh, conflict here. So it looks like players can attempt to start developing a certain area and other players can nip in. You can throw your gangs in direct conflict against each other. Also, those aliens are a presence in the game. They're going to be going around the board. They're like, I don't know, oppressive police or something like that. If they catch your gang members, there might be a fight there, so you have to be wary of that. 
Also, there's a black market for which you can buy cards to bring in, which are going to give you different powers, different gang leaders, different things you can do. And there's a little bit of deck building there. So those resources and the economy that you're trying to run by controlling areas of the city, you're going to use that to build yourself a better and better deck to get a more and more powerful gang, to get more and more control and what have you. Sean, what are your thoughts on City of Remnants? Pretty much the same as yours. It really tickles me in terms of I like the way that the game's laid out and I like what it promises, but the board is horrible and the minis look horrible. They're really bright and they don't fit in with the theme at all. It's supposed to be a futuristic gang warfare going on and these things are bright, happy, Mickey Mouse clubhouse. Hello! Plaid Hat Games with Dungeon Run. They really, really put together a game that I thought was going to be amazing at Dungeon Run and it just fell short. That's my worry for this one. It looks like it should be a fantastic game. Now, are they going to come through and deliver? I have faith they are. I think that they learned some lessons straight away from Dungeon Run, from what I can read into what they pull out. I mean, they put out a podcast, which is good listening as well. Um, I think they learned some lessons. They realise now that they need to tighten down certain things. This one's been around for a while. I'm hoping it's been playtested a lot. And I am going treasure all the way for City of Remnants. This is one of the releases I am most excited about this year. I am going to go treasure, but Plaid Hat Games let me down again and we will have words. Let's talk about Heroes of Metro City, yet another comic book inspired game that's out on the market or coming out on the market. This is from Threesome Games Incorporated and it was designed by the two co-founders of Threesome Games, that's David Boostrom and James H. Waller. They haven't really done a lot else other, I think this is their first major project. This one came through Kickstarter, it did okay on Kickstarter, I think it came through with 134% or something like that. This game plays two to four. It's got a playing time suggestion of 60 minutes. They bid it themselves as a deck-building board game with role-playing, dice-rolling, and storytelling elements. Sounds great. There's lots going on there, lots of things that they need to bring together. So you build your own comic book-style hero using a vast array of powers and abilities that are available and you've got to stop the Archfiller. Nothing new there. Threesome Games say that they have a unique power management system, and this is used in combination with deck building to give you more choice to adapt your powers for each situation. There's a race to see, obviously, because it's not a co-op, to see which hero develops fast enough to stop the Archfiller before they destroy the Metro City. And initial impressions for me... It definitely had me interested on Kickstarter, but I didn't quite believe in it enough to back it. Ronan, I know you've got some thoughts on this one. Yeah, just to go over the gameplay a tiny bit, um, this energy system, which they're building is unique, it just seems like another type of currency to me, a standard debt-building currency. You've got Plot, I think, which lets you buy cards. You've got the Attacks, which let you attack one of the three types of villains. Or you've got this energy thing, which lets you power your powers, basically. I'm not sure how unique that is. I do like that you can stack cards on each other and combo them up, so I think that's where they're trying to sell it. You've got your own placard, you've got four slots for energy, so you can kind of build up with a bit more of a long-term strategy than most deck builders. That bit I like, just the whole thing that energy is something wildly different, I'm not so sure. Yeah, there's definitely something that intrigues me because of the building your own hero. I mean, there's costume choices going on, there's power choices going on. Yeah, it's kind of akin to a game, an online game I used to play, and Ronan used to play, called City of Heroes, where you design your own hero, you build your hero up, and you go and do missions, and you take on the villains. That's what I wanted from this game. I'm not sure if it's going to deliver. The more I look into this game, the more I'm glad that I didn't kickstart it. It looks a bit bland to me, and I'm not sure if this unique system they've got in place is actually going to work in terms of it being enjoyable for people. Firstly, can we just have a moment's silence for the demise of City of Heroes, the greatest MMO that was ever made? Other MMOs are still trying to catch up with that game. It was fantastic. Right, back to Heroes of Metro City. Yes, I think that this whole idea that you can build a unique hero is true to a certain extent. But in each game, you're only going to get, I think, eight different powers, and all the same powers are available to every player. So from game to game, the heroes you can build are different. But in each game, 
uh, other players going to be really having a hero that's that different? I mean, some of the other things they've tried to push in there in terms of theme. Some of the powers have a bonus if you've named your hero in a certain way. How do you like them apples? So if you've put the name of an animal in your hero, you get a certain bonus to a power. Or if you've put a name of, I don't know, an element, you get a different bonus to a different power. Sean, any thoughts on that? Yeah, not so much. But what I will say is the cards aren't looking great to me. The cards, some of them have pictures, and I think they're the villains you face. But Oh, 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 but hold on a second, because they just made a big announcement about this. Oh, go on, you better say this before I start snagging them off. Right, they have brought in a stable of real comic book artists. So, yes, I was concerned about the artwork as exists, and the box is not very pretty either. But on their website pretty recently, I think it was the 21st of March, something like that, fairly recently anyway, they've put up that they've got a whole slew of real comic book artists on board now to do the, I'm not sure how many, 80, 100 or something, different bits of art. So that has gone from a negative to a positive very recently. I still think in their Kickstarter video, all the power cards and all the trait cards and all that, they deliberately didn't have pictures on them because they thought it would be confusing to have pictures so you'd have many different pictures. There's just the blank box and then the title and then the text. Underneath. Yeah, no, I think they've changed their mind. I'm pretty certain they're going to have artwork on them now. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, let, them, we'll let them off there. But still, for <laughs> me, all in all, this game hasn't showed me enough to make me want to go out and buy it when it comes out. So for me, it's going to have to be a trap. Okay, for me, this feels a lot like Thunderstone. And as you've heard previously, I have got some issues with Thunderstone. But two things I think they've done which give me a bit of hope. The enemies are controlled. There's not this random bosh of enemies that comes out. There are three different levels, and they're all available to fight. And if you beat the hardest enemy, you've won. So that is a plus for me. Also, when you defeat enemies, that enemy card flips round, so it actually does a 180, and it becomes a positive in your hand. So getting enemies early is not a negative, the same way it is in Thunderstone. Could this be the game with a better theme for me, because I love a superhero theme, and addressing some of the issues with Thunderstone, I'm going to be very hopeful and say yes. I'm going to go out, Heroes of Metro City, treasure. Just before we finish on Heroes of Metro City, if they included the cape, the pen cape, which was a Kickstarter bonus, I might change my mind. That would be some cape, my friend. The next game I want to talk about is Galactic Strike Force. This is coming out from Greater Than Games. The only reason you'd have heard of them is because they're the Sentinels of the Multiverse people, the superhero deck-building co-op system. And it's being designed by one of the designers of that system, it's Christopher Bedell. It's for two to six players. It's meant to take about 60 minutes. It is another cooperative game. This one is deck-building building where a sentence of the multiverse came with set decks which you were trying to utilize to the best of your abilities there are dangerous forces threatening to overrun the galaxy we're in we as the players have to stop these opposition forces but we're not some kind of military or heroes or anything like that we are pretty much the scumbags of the system we're the people that live in moss Eisley. we're the smugglers and gun runners bounty hunters all the people that live on the edges of the law and we have to somehow band together build up our ships, and go out and take on the forces that are coming in. So it's all about ship-to-ship combat. We're going to build up our deck. Our deck represents our ship, from what I can tell. We're going to be putting in different components, different crew, and trying to make your ship stronger and stronger and stronger so that it can take on the strongest ships of the opposing force. That's as much as we know about this game. The theme and the people who are designing it. And that it's going to be coming to Kickstarter sometime later this year, the Greaterland games are not going to do any more Kickstarters for Sentinels of the Multiverse. That's going to go straight to release into shops, and this is going to be their Kickstarter focus. Sean, have I tickled you at all the idea of Galactic Strike Force? Firstly, I'm not the fan that you are of Sentinels of the Multiverse. And we'll leave that for another day, and I'll probably put myself in harm's way. But it's definitely a game that has a lot of merits, and coming from, so coming from a um, Sentinels team, and... The theme, as Ronan described it, it sounds a little bit different, and it sounds like something I would enjoy. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what they bring. So yeah, see, there's, there's nothing out about this one. We might as well go into Track or Treasure. And for me, I'm going to say Treasure just based on the theme, which is a little bit weak, I know, but I'm going to give it a go. Yeah, uh, Deck Builder. I like deck building games. Sentinels of the Multiverse team. 
big fan of them and I quite like the idea of the theme so for me that's enough at the moment to say Treasure Galactic Strike Force. I want to talk about an expansion to one of my favourite games now. That game is Lords of Waterdeep and this expansion is called Scoundrels of Skullfall. It's from Wizards of the Coast and it's designed by Chris Dupree, Peter Lee and Rodney Thompson. And these guys between them have done the Dungeon Command series, Castle Raven, Laughed and Conquest and there are. So some pretty cool games that they've done between them and also obviously worked on Lords of Waterdeep. The main aspects of this is it brings in a sixth player to the game, so you now play two to six players. There are two separate expansions all in one here. The first one is called Skullport, and the second is called Undermountain. Skullport brings in a new resource, and Undermountain has bigger quests and allows more ways to get those quests. So you can choose as a player or as a group of players whether you want one or both of the expansions in, which I think is pretty cool that you can get to you get to choose that. Uh, there's new lords and new buildings being brought in here. All we've seen really art-wise on this is the box, and it's got a beholder and a mind player, so already it wins. Nothing more cool than the D&D universe than a beholder. Ronan, what, what do you think about this so far? I'm surprised you haven't mentioned the nightmares you've been having about the mind flayer. I know that they hold a particular terror on your psyche. The years we spent in our bedrooms playing Eye of the Beholder, being terrorised by mind flayers chasing us with their psychic attacks. Bless you. Good times. Um, what do I think? I think that expansions that add an extra player usually give me the heebie-jeebies, because why the hell does it need an extra player? But Lords of Waterdeep scaled really well. It was a good two-player game, and all the way up to five players, it was still just as good a game. So I'm going to keep the faith there. Boom, boom. Sixth player, I'm going to hope it's going to be okay. But it is a lazy way to do an expansion. In terms of Undermountain, sounds great. This new way to get adventures, I'm hoping maybe... Because Undermountain is a big, massive dungeon under the city, right? So I'm, I'm hoping there's some kind of thing where you can do quests and chain them, and there's some sort of putting quests together into longer sort of stories there perhaps I know the theme's not massively strong in Lords of Waterdeep but I do insist people call them by the right names and not the colours of the cubes and you've got the D&D pools haven't you which also add but so hopefully a bit more of a theme coming out through that and corruption I guess I'm just going to wait and see what that does so I really like Lords of Waterdeep it sounds like they're doing the expansion properly with some new systems brought in, just nothing too lazy. I know there's new cards and new buildings, which is easy to do, but some other stuff as well. So I'm quite hopeful. Ah, oh, now, see, now you've opened it up. I've got to get D&D pools for the new quests. Yeah, you need them, otherwise you can't play the game, apparently. Of course you can't. You need the D&D pools. For me, the sixth player in this game, it means nothing. I've played it once with five players, and all the times I've played it, and I've played this game a lot, it doesn't need a six-player, but if there happens to be one, so be it. But I'm not going to jump up and down about a six-player. I just want to ask you a question. Are they being a little bit lazy, given the popularity of this game, and given the fact that they know any expansion is going to sell, and it's going to sell well? Are they bringing enough out in this expansion, rather than the bog standard, here's a couple of new characters, here's a couple of new buildings, here's a couple of new quest types? They don't have a moral obligation to the audience, is what I say to you. They're bringing out this expansion to make money. It's going to make money. You don't have to buy it if you don't want to buy it. <laughs> That's my response to a lot of expansions. No, I think they're doing better than most here. Like I said, the two new areas, some different systems, a different resource, it could be a lot worse. Okay, so for me, it's always going to be a treasure. It might not be that shining gold treasure if I can't get hold of the D&D but for me, definite treasure. Love the game. Can't wait for this to come out. Yeah, for me, Lords of Waterdeep, Scoundrels of Skullport, treasure all the way. I've played the game lots. Down with the haters. It is a good game. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. Fills a niche. Quick playing game. And I'm all up for the expansion. Defo. Treasure. Up next... Trains and Stations, coming to us from Eric M. Lang and WizKids Games. For three to five players, supposed to take around 45 minutes. This is an Essen 2013 release. So Eric M. Lang is a well-known designer. He's done tons of stuff, amongst other things. Chaos in the Old World, 
Lord of the Rings Confrontation, and Quarriers, and tons of others. And WizKids, well, we've talked about WizKids already with Batman Gotham City. For me, I get a little bit worried about their games in terms of quality of components. So there's always a little bit of a trepidation there. So what's it about? Well, it's a train game, and there are millions of train games. And if you've got away in this board game hobby without playing train games, I don't know how, because they're always getting thrown at me left, right, and centre. It's a quicker train game in just 45 minutes, and that I like. I'm not an 18xxer. I don't like Baltimore and Ohio. Age of Steam didn't tickle me very well. Uh, So quick train game if I'm playing one. Yes, please. It's also not just about the laying of tracks. It appears that he's trying to put in a bit of diversity in the railway industry there, in that there's resources, there's mines you can take control of, which then you control the resources for other people building things. Um, There's goods delivery going on as well in, in the Steam, Age of Steam sort of a sense. So hopefully he's looking to build a bit more than just the track laying, which makes my friend Sean's head explode because he's not very good at routes for some reason. This adds specific interest to us because myself and Sean actually work in the railway industry. So anything that tries to bring in something that's a bit more and a bit more diverse and a bit more well-rounded than just laying some bits of wood on the board is what I'm always going to have a look at it. Sean, have you had a chance to look at trains and stations? I have. Um, first, I'd like to bring up WizKids, a game about trains. Where did that come from? Did someone walk into WizKids Towers and say, you need to diversify? Okay, we'll do a game about trains. How's about that? Fantastic. Go with it. Because they are just known for their fun, quirky, highly fantasy-themed games. But yeah, so fair play to them for doing it. But yeah, it came out of left field for me. However, about the game itself, I like the fact that you can do other things than build railways in this. As Raylan said, I do have problems with route building. I like the fact that if I can't route build, I can go and make it so that other players have to pay me to route build. I like that. That's me to a T. I'll go away. You carry on building across wherever you need to build across, and I'm going to make you pay for it. And that's another route to victory. It's going to make it stand out, I think, from other train games. Yeah, I agree. I think the combo of WizKids and Eric M. Lang, I imagine they're going to come at this as a bit of a slant, not the straight Euro sort of a system that we've seen in train games before. Hopefully they're going to fire it up a little, shake it up, make it a quick playing game that holds the interest. So, Sean, for you, what are you thinking? Trap or treasure for trains and stations? Looking forward to this immensely. So it's a definite treasure for me. Well, for me, I'm afraid I've been burned too often by train-themed games He's not enough information there to turn me around. I'm going to fire a trap on this one. On to the new science, which is from Conquistador Games. Uh, their only really significant board game up to now has been a game called Road to Enlightenment. It's from Dirk Neymeyer, who amazingly designed Road to Enlightenment. New science plays two to five for the suggested playing time of around 90 minutes. What it is, is a area control, influence, point allowance system with some dice rolling and some worker placement. So you're playing one of the great scientists of the 17th century. And you're going on a scientific journey, making discoveries, testing hypotheses, publishing papers, corresponding with your other great scientist mate, uh, hiring assistants to develop in key areas of the 17th century science. So you're basically looking to develop in astronomy, mathematics, physics, biology, and chemistry. This, for me, is a very, very strong Euro. It's a very strong theme going on. Uh, I'll go on to more of my thoughts in a minute once I give Ronan a chance to talk about it. Okay, so firstly, I think that Dirk Niemeyer is very, very clever. He's kick-started all his games, and he's fantastic at coming up with themes that catch people's interest. Uh, the new science is a different theme. People are interested in that. I certainly caught my attention. I know it caught yours too. He's also the man who kickstarted Tomorrow, which we've mentioned before, the game where you must shrink the world's population to 70 million from 7 billion and make all kinds of harsh decisions. That catches people's eyes. He's also got a game throughout next year, which can be kickstarted. It's called The Day After Tomorrow, which is a storytelling 4X game. Now, tell me that's not going to get backed by millions and millions of people. He knows how to sell themes. Absolutely. Um, I spotted it on Kickstarter. It was when I 
first got introduced to Kickstarter and with my compulsion to buy things, was looking for something just to buy. I think it was only the shipping costs to Europe that put me off this. It's very, very thematic and it does have some well-known names who, if you're interested in science at all, you get to play as Isaac Newton. Who doesn't want to play as Isaac Newton? Okay, we talked about a Kickstarter. This looks like a Kickstarter game. To me, the board, wide open and bland spaces, very much function over form. The backs of the cards, they're just so plain and bland. They look like they've been designed by someone on a home PC who's very worried about functionality and making sure it works as a game. Now, that is the first part of a game. I would much rather have functionality over good looks. But it also shows to me that these guys, you know, they're starting off, they haven't got the money to hire artists to make the game look pretty. Sometimes I just want a pretty looking game. And too many games from Kickstarter look the same. I saw Chicken Caesar recently. It kind of looks the same. Blocks of blank things, which I'm sure are very clear while you're playing, but don't catch and massage my eyeballs. Yeah, the components in this game look abysmal. Everything seems to be looked at through this miasma of beige and green and he uses the bog standard photos or it's funny you say bog standard because that green you know i really think it looks like a public toilet green that's what i think when i see that color i was thinking more hospital green but yeah, yeah. that's right <laughs> it's like the cheapest color you can get in paint let's make it green it's cheap let's do that yeah it just looked terrible and that science tree board where you're trying to build up all your hypotheses and your experiments. It probably is perfectly functional, but it just looks boring. I'm not sure what I saw initially in this game. I think it is quite deep. So I think you've done some research, Roman, where you've worked out that it's quite a nasty game, there's a lot going on, and I still quite like that thought process in that, and I like the thought process in the game. I like what the mechanics seem to be look all right but the design of it's terrible and it would have to be an amazing game for me to get into it and to feel like i was spending my money wisely well yeah i did it does seem like there's a lot of screwage going on which yes i like it but that that really comes in with more players i'm not sure that the two to five player count is really true i'm thinking this is much better with four or five players there's big swathes of the board that's unavailable if you play with less players and that's always going to be annoying because they're right there looking at you so i think higher player count better more chance to screw each other over i think there's some replayability here in that there's random things that come out there's different orders of the way cards will become available but i'm not sure there's loads of strategic options i think you're going to be going down three or four similar routes and how you're going to get to victory so replayability in terms of randomness but not replayability in terms of strategic depth and they're two different things also what i quite like is that you play different scientists and that gives you variable player powers so it's not just a name the scientists are actually good at what they are noted for that can give a little bit of flavor to it as well sean have you got any final thoughts on the new science final thoughts for me really i watched a unboxing video of this just to get a, a feel for, for the component quality I watched this young gentleman pulling out component after component, and he tried to be excited, but they were poor. And for me, that's made this game a trap. I was not interested in it. Then I started researching into it. I started thinking about the theme. I started seeing the player screwage, the fact that it's quite a deep game. And for me, it's become a treasure. So one more up here, and that is Augustus, which is for two to six players, last 30 minutes. It's from Hurricane Games, who made such games as Mr. Jack, Dr. Shark and Lady Alice. So slightly off the wall kind of family-ish games, and this is another family-aimed game, I'd say. It's relatively light. It is again from Paolo Mori. He made Batman Gotham City, which I thought was okay. It was an okay game, yeah. Vasco da Gama, which I thought was awful. And Libertalia, which I'm actually hopeful for. So, in Augustus, you represent ambitious young Romans. And what you're trying to do is help Augustus himself get to power and become the emperor after the death of Julius Caesar. So I think he's probably still Gaius Octavius at this stage. And how you're going to do that is you're going to go out to the provinces and you're going to be trying to 
do different kind of missions and quests and build up different areas and in order for Augustus to like you so much he makes you his console. One of the very cool things about this game, before we go into how it plays and what have you, is it was at the Nuremberg Game Show and if you had a tablet device or an iOS device, you could point it at the game box and using this app that they had for you, it was free, your phone or tablet would recognise the game box and then it would start a video in which the guy on the front of the box explains to you how to play the game. That was awesome. I was really impressed with that. That may have made me want to buy the game just on that alone. Um, how does it really work? That theme is, is just pasted on. Don't worry about it too much. What happens is you, have, you put out a tableau of cards which have missions on and then it gets a little bit like bingo. Someone's going to draw a token out of a bag and that token is going to correspond to one of, I think it's eight different types, which can be on these mission cards which are in front of you. And if you have a corresponding space on one of those cards to the token which has been drawn, you may put one of your eight meeples onto that card. If you manage to fill all the spaces on a card from the token drawers that have come out, then you finalise it, you get it, you score the points, and you also get to do whatever it does. There's also some cards in the middle which you can draw from, and you're going to have a hand of cards which you can play down, and some different actions of cards let you play more cards down, so instead of having three in front of you, you can have four or five, or cards chain with each other, so in completing one card, that lets me move a load of meeples from one place to another place, which might let me finish another card, which will then let me draw a card from the middle, which then might let me do something else. So you're trying to combo these different cards, using that kind of bingo thing to complete the missions that are in front of you. Also, there's some interaction in here. So some of the effects on the cards let you screw with the other players and lets you make them remove certain meeples from different places or makes them have to take a card back into their hand or just generally mess with them. It sounds like there's some decisions involved in it. There's probably some luck involved in it as well, but the luck can be mitigated because each of these symbols, they don't appear as often as each other in the bag. So there's only three dagger tokens, for example, where there might be 10 wheat tokens or what have you. So you know when you're drawing a card roughly how likely it is for things to come out. Sean, have you got any thoughts on Augustus? I think this game looks like a, a light, easy to learn, colourful, the cards look really pretty not going to take a lot of time. I think it's definitely something I'd be interested in. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be short enough for a filler, but that's definitely the area I would see this fitting in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's where I'm going with it. I knew nothing about it really until quite recently. I had a quick look around. It plays so quickly. It seems fun, seems easy to teach. Half an hour. I mean, you can play two-player. Apparently that takes about 10 or 15 minutes. That's even better. So I'm really hopeful for this. Uh, there's not much more really to say about it. It's a light, quick game. Have a look at it on BGG if you want more information. For me, I think I might actually buy it this week, so it's definitely a treasure. Sean? I will allow you to buy it, and I will play it, and it's a treasure for me. So, Princess of the Dragon Throne. It's from Clever Mojo Games, designed by Fred McKenzie, whose only real other game is Ubelet. Now, this game has been hanging around for a long time. I first heard this game talked about, it was either late 2010 or early 2011. So it's been around the forums and BGG with people getting more and more excited about it for a while. What it is, is it's a two to four player game playing roughly about 90 minutes. It's an area control and a resource management game where you're using an element of deck building and obviously worker placement. The theme is you are an offspring of the Weakening Dragon King. So you're going to try now to take the throne from the Dragon King. To do this, you're going to have to raise a rebel army and stake your claim and go around the world that this game is based in, convincing the citizens of that world that you are the choice for the new king. It's way, way off coming out even now. There's a prototype board out there where people are playtesting it. They keep threatening to put it on Kickstarter. They promised last year that it was going to come out on Kickstarter. The latest I've heard on this one is that it's going to be Kickstarter in April. So, fingers crossed on that one. There is a lot of people excited about this game. There's a lot of people looking at it and thinking it might be the next Alien Frontiers set in a fantasy-style world. It's obviously by Clever Mojo Games, who were the publishers for Alien Frontiers, and 
that's the kind of vibe I'm getting about this game. It's very thematic. It looks pretty from what I've seen so far. There's going to be lots of miniatures going on. board is colourful. But my only problem is it is taking more and more time. So does that mean that there's a problem with the game? Have you heard anything about this one, Roland? I know there's a quite a bit of buzz going around about it. I saw photos of people playing it at PAX East just recently. It's got deck building at its core, but that deck building is put to use. So you're using it to try and I think, control areas on a fancy theme board. So a little bit like Small World, kind of in that regard. I like deck building games. I especially like games that are a bit more ambitious and try and do something with the deck building because I don't think you're going to get a better deck builder than just Dominion. It's been done. You must add something onto it. Um, Clever Mojo, Alien Frontiers, I like. Samurai City, I have my eye on. They are also bringing out the unfortunately boxed Forge, which has got probably the worst box art I've ever seen in my entire life. I'll try not to hold that against them. In terms of this game, there's so much hype surrounding it, it's kind of hard to get down to what's there. There's lots of pretty art. That's always going to attract people's attention. The fact it's a deck builder from a decent company. Yeah, I'm keeping my eye on it. Sean? Yeah, not, not much more to say about this other than... I just hope that it does get kick-started in April, otherwise there's going to be a lot of disappointed people. For me, it's still a treasure, but I'm starting to get frustrated with the delay. For me, I'm a little bit wary. The only detailed preview I could find from it is from the 30th of August 2011, and that's not even very detailed. So why is it taking so long? And that's making me wary. I don't want to get my fingers burned by another Kickstarter game, so no, I'm out. This is a trap. Another expansion now, an expansion to a fantastic game we've talked about lots already on this podcast we have, and that's Spartacus, the Serpents and the Wolf expansion set. This is coming out from the design team from Spartacus, from Gale Force 9. It raises the player count to between three and six players, which is interesting. Um, It adds two new houses you can play. It does a little bit of change in mechanics as well in that the intrigue phase one of the real major phase of the game the only one that's not simultaneous really is going to get changed up because the two houses have different roles in there one of them takes some kind of controlling role in the intrigue phase i'm not sure how that works and the other one can turn intrigue cards against people who play them or turn pluses into minuses and so mess with the cards that are played it adds in more gladiators are available more slaves, more training, more of everything you can think as a standard within the expansion. So, you know, I like the game enough that that's actually good enough for me, although standard for an expansion. The other phase that it changes, the last phase is the fighting phase. So it was always one against one combat for this. This now allows it to be two against two team fights in the arena, which is going to be good because it's going to bring in more people in. So at the moment, if you've got four players playing Spartacus, which is the best way to play it, when two people are fighting, the other two people are not involved. Now, the fights don't usually take long, but if you miss three fights in a row, for example, that's going to be half an hour of your time that you're sitting there not doing anything. I can see how that can get a bit boring. The only thing about this is that it doesn't say whether the two versus two fights are only for five and six player games or they also work in the four player game. If they work in the four player game, I'm really, really excited because the extension to five and six players, I'm not that excited about. I can't see that it adds that much to this game. There might be too much going on. It might get a bit too chaotic, too hard to win things in the market, too hard to build up a decent set of gladiators. So... The add of players I'm not excited about, the change in combat I am excited about, and also in that 2v2 fight, there's a possibility to backstab your teammates. Of course there's a possibility to backstab, it's Spartacus, that's what the game's all about. That also adds another level of intrigue. Sean? In in a nutshell, I think this game is going to bring enough new elements and enough different things happening to make it more than worthwhile buying this expansion. I think sometimes games are guilty of just bringing in the extra cards. In this case, it would be extra slave, extra gladiator. I think the two new characters have the capacity to really, really shake the games up and make you come at it in a completely different way. And one of the problems for me was the arena fights. If you were left out, they could be a bit pedestrian. And I think having two versus two in that same area 
will nullify a lot of the nonsense with people running around and avoiding the fight and making the fight drag out longer. So If that happens, not... you're allowed to kick the person, by the way. I thought it was punch. Either way, as long as you damage them for ruining the game, it's fine. <laughs> for me, this expansion does what every expansion should look to do. It brings in some fundamental changes to what you're trying to achieve and fixes a problem. Yeah, I mean, one of the great things about Spartacus, the gameplay is so, so simple, but it's what the different cards do that adds the levels in there. And what they're doing is they're releasing on Facebook every now and then another card. Now, in some games, that's boring because it's mostly you're looking at new artwork, but in this, it's brilliant because you're seeing what some of the cards do. So there's, for example, a Twist the Knife card, which you can play when another player has lost one influence, which are the victory points in the game. There's not a lot of them. You can play that, and they lose another influence. So head to Twist the Knife, right? They've also released a gladiator called the Egyptian. Now, when you're in combat, you have to take away dice when you get wounded, and you have to decide where they're going to come from. Are you going to get less good at attacking, or slower, or less defense? This guy, just get rid of his speed things, because he can always move three hexes. You're not going to do so well in initiative, if you know anything about the game, but he can always move three hexes, so you can't slow him down. He's unstoppable. That's brilliant. That's just adding some great different elements, because it's something else you've got to think about when this fellow's in a fight against you. I really love that they're thinking about the cards and putting in some extra lovely twists in there. Sean, what's your verdict on Spartacus, the Serpent and the Wolf? Firstly, I think I know the character from the TV show, The Egyptian, and he was pure evil. If there's anything like that, that's going to be very interesting. He looks evil in the card art, I have to say. I'm not, I don't <laughs> fancy taking him on. For me, it's treasure, treasure, treasure all the way. Looking forward to this one. This is a whopping great diamond the size of my massive head. Treasure, treasure, treasure. Spartacus, Serpents and the Wolf, bada bing. On to Spirium, which is from Istari Games and designed by William Attia. Now, William is the man responsible for Kalis and Kalis Magna Carta. Spirium plays two to five players with a suggested playing time of about 75 minutes. This game is set in an alternate steampunk world where players build factories and assign workers to harvest a previously unknown commodity called Spirium. They must then convert the Spirium to gain victory points. Uh, worker placement seems to be the main mechanic in this, and a bit of economy building. Resources and money in this game will be in short supply. It's one of those games where you're fighting a losing battle, and it's the person who deals with that the best is going to come out on top. From what I've seen of the artwork... For me, it's looking a little bit bland, and I think the steampunk theme has really been tacked on in this one. Apart from the title's wording of Spirium or Spirium on the box, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot going on with um, steampunk at all. It's a definite Euro in its heart, and there seems to be a little bit of a growing excitement about this one on Board Game Geek. Right? Well, yeah, the main reason for the excitement is because this is from designer William Attia, and his only other game that came out is Kalis, which is regarded as an absolute classic and one of the very first worker placement games. So nothing from him for years, and suddenly this big release has come from Mystari Games. They're a big company. Steampunk, we all know people are going to get hot under the colour, possibly even a bit steamy. Oh, about steampunk. So I can see why it's generating buzz, and... I mean, the name of the designer alone suggests there could be something special here. Yeah, for me, the steampunk theme, as I said before, is, it seems to be really tacked on. There's nothing in the components that I've looked at so far that suggests that there is anything to do with steampunk. Also, I don't like the look of the cards. They look cheap. They look like they've got a cheap artist in. They haven't really gone the extra mile. Oh. No, 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 no. I have to disagree with you there. I really like the look of the cards. I think that this is going to be quality components all the way for this one. I think they've done really well, and I think there's some good steampunk art on there as well. I, I haven't seen it, but for the occasional person with a pocket watch, I can't see any real steampunk apart from in the actual writing of Spirium. Well, this is set in England. I'm always going to like a little bit of set in England. Steampunk, I'm not the world's biggest steampunk fan, but eh, fine, I'll roll with that. William Attia is what gets me excited. Istari Games means it will be well produced, in my opinion. 
William Attis suggests it will be good mechanics. For me, Spirium is treasure. For me, at the moment, unless those components come to the fore and they actually are better than I think they are, it's going to be a trap. So, another game out from a designer who very rarely produces games. This is Amerigo from Queen Games for two to four players, and it's from little-known Stefan Feld, who you may remember from such hits as Castle of Burgundy, Macau, Luna, Bora Bora, Arena. Now, the reason why I talked about most of them is because this is another one of his dice-rolling games. And from Queen, or their massive publisher of games, Fresco, Lancaster, Escape, we've talked about, Kingdom Builder, Edo recently... This is themed upon uh, helping Amerigo Vespucci on his journey to discover a new land. So you're in the islands of South America and you're going to be exploring around. You're going to be trying to get trade routes and build settlements. And it's going to be very Euro-y, as most of Stefan Feld's games are. All we know about it, really, is it's going to be played on a modular board, which is going to make this archipelago of South American islands. So, also, that you're going to be trying to build up this kind of proto-economy, and I imagine you're going to be taking resources away from the natives and shipping them back to Europe and starting that kind of exploitation. The one big thing that's been talked about with regards to this game, but we don't know how it's going to be implemented, is there is a dice tower involved somehow. Uh, that's all we know. A dice tower is going to be part of the mechanism. And, like a lot of gamers, I'm shallow enough for that to make me go, oh, a dice tower, lovely. We talked about Stefan Feld earlier, he produces lots of good games. I'm not the full-on heads-in-without-a-looking fan that I was before, but I am excited. Sean, any thoughts on Amerigo? Just about the dice tower, really. Um, I mean, the initial list of components, it doesn't mention any dice. There's a lot of talk about how this is going to interact with the game, and I think what's becoming clear is it's not going to form the function of a normal dice tower. I think it's going to play an integral part of this game. Also, this game is built as a gamer's game, so this is going to be tough. Stefan Feld doesn't hold back on the tough, thinky games. If this one's already been built as a gamer's game, you can pretty much guarantee this is going to be a tough, hard, thinky Euro game. Yeah, I mean, the one concern I have with him is that he's got a little bit of victory point salad recently, in that everything you do gets you one, two, three, four points, and you just mash all those little bits together in order to score points in the end. I hope he's a bit more direct in the scoring of the game. Uh, Bora Bora, I thought, was a mess with regards to that. Trajan was difficult, but I think it was still fun. Um, he's had Luna, which I really think is a good game. I hope that he stays more towards those older ones and gives us a bit of direction in how to score, rather than go, here's 42 different mechanics, they all score points in some way or the other, have fun, because I don't have fun in that. I need some kind of direction. So, Amerigo, please have some structure to you. Let me get back into the Steffenfeld love boat. Sean, Amerigo, trap or treasure? I'm really interested in this game, but I'm not sure. I think it's going to be a trap, but it's only going to be something like a cage trap. It's not going to be a kill you trap. So, for me, it's a trap. I am going to take a Stefan Feld risk. It sounds different enough from Bruges and Rialto that I think this could be something new. I like what he does with dice in other games, like Castles of Burgundy, Macau, what have you. So, yeah, I'm going to go for you. Amerigo, treasure. On to the second of Martin Wallace's Discworld trilogy. This is based on the witches. Now, Martin Wallace, as we all know, is a British designer who designed classics like Brass, A Few Acres of Snow, Steam, and London. Now, the witches plays one to four players, and it's billed as a co-op game. Now, this game can be played competitively or solo, so there's a little bit of scope to move around there. Not a hell of a lot of details released so far. Fans of the Discworld series will know all about the witches and the favourite characters like Granny Rotherwax and Nanny Og are all in this. I enjoyed the first one, but I did see its flaws. I'm just hoping that Martin can bring this one together and make it the game that it could be. Yes, Martin Wallace thumbs up. 
his other Discworld game, Thumbdown. Now, I'm not the target audience for this Discworld range of games. They're clearly in there for non-gamers or casual gamers, people who play with their families, what have you. They appear in bookstores and all that. So he's not aiming at this at me. It's not for. It's not brass. It's not one of those deep Martin Wallace games. That's fine, you know. Cool. Go and make those games. I like the Discworld setting. I've read loads of the books. I'm not the massive fan of it, but yeah, it's cool. I wish it was a game aimed at me, but it's simply not. So am I very excited? No, I'm not very excited. Am I happy that he's making these games, which even in my personal experience have brought gamers into the hobby? Yes, I am. By all means, make games that people enjoy and at whatever level of gaming they wish to do or however they wish to game. So Cool, yeah, nice. Martin Wallace is a good designer. He's a great designer. I'm glad they're carrying on with these because they've been such a success and they are proper games. They are fun games. So carry on, but not for me. I think the reason that these games are so popular and in bookshops and other places other than just board game shops is the fact that Discworld is so popular. I think the original one, Ankhmore Pork, I think it was a, a gamey game, but just simplified a little bit, which I think took some of the more experienced gamers out of it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Definitely looking forward to this one, and I will say treasure. Yeah, for me, I'm afraid Discworld, The Witches from Martin Wallace. Personally, it's a trap, but I'm sure target audience, it will be a treasure. Thanks again for listening to us on the Game Pit podcast. This was our treasure hunt episode in which we talked about all those games we got coming out. We'd really love to hear from you with regards to any games we did cover, didn't cover, any thoughts you have on the big releases coming up. You can email us at thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Our tag is at gamepitpodcast. You can join our board game Geek Guild and start some conversations over there. We'd love to join in with you. You can find all our episodes alongside audio, video and written gaming goodness on 2d6.org. Theme by E. Arrow.